All right, we are back. It's the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast from Tokyo, Japan. Shibuya to be exact. I'm Cliff. Chocolate Buddha in the house. Uh, we've been on a little uh, sabbatical here uh, for a few weeks, so we're back. And, uh, yeah, back in Shibuya, our second home. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was good to get a break from podcasting. Absolutely. You know, it's not easy. You know, you got to put some effort towards it, you know, especially if you're a weekly podcast. Absolutely. And it was good to get a break. What, what did you do on your break, man? Oh, man, I was just hanging out, doing nothing, you know, practicing, you know, my yoga, getting deeper into the meditation, hanging out with the wife, you know. But let's be honest, man. The reason why we took a break, because we're inside of a van and it's so damn hot outside and it's like being in an oven. <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's part of it. But yeah, I, I that just was part of it. It's, 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 I think I think it's hot for as me again here, you know, during the summer. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For me, the post-production stuff, I, I just needed a break yeah, from the yeah, editing yeah. and stuff. So. But what did you do, man? During uh, your break? Trying to get back in the yoga, making pro- a little progress. But uh, I saw you running. Trying yeah. to get a consistent flow. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I took a little time off, though, from that because it's so hot. It's August. Yeah, yeah. And also trying to read more, trying to get back more into reading and stay away from social media a little bit. You know? Oh, absolutely, man. You Especially know. news. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Everything's so negative and so divisive and partisan. And I was like, so, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, but it was a cool break. But now we're back, man, and we are fired up, ready to go, full of energy, and Yes. Let's get it on. And we have a awesome guest here today. Totally, totally. Uh, before I introduce her, or before she introduces herself, because we like to let people introduce themselves. For new listeners, we are a podcast that focuses on the international community here in Japan. We have people from all walks of life here in the Mobile Man Cave. Singers, uh, entrepreneurs, whatever, whatever you're doing in Japan and you're passionate about it. We want to have you on and just, you know, share that experience with the world. Yeah, you know? and, you know, inspire other people that may want to visit Japan and may want to start their, I don't know, career, whether it's singing, you know, basketball, whatever, you know. Just come over and there's a lot of opportunities here for you to uh, strive in those endeavors, uh, my brother. Yes. And also, yeah. don't forget to subscribe. Yes. Give us some reviews. Show us some love. We are everywhere. We, we on are on iTunes, um, Spotify, any anywhere you can think of that has a platform for podcasts. Just Google us, basically. Raw, right. urban, Do your Googles, podcasts. baby. Do your Googles. We are. All right. And, you know, I, I've been trying to get back into reading a little bit and more specifically more in Japanese. You know, oh. I'm reading some manga. Mm. And, and our guest knows all about Japanese language. Um, I'll let her introduce herself. Okay, hey, I'm glad to be here. My name's Rochelle Kopp, and I'm a management consultant, and I'm also an author and a writer, and I do some teaching as well. This is Lee Uehara, host of The House of Life NYC, and you're listening to the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. Great, 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 great. Yes, um, we are happy to have you here today, Rochelle. Where are you from? But I, I grew up in Chicago. Grew up in so Chicago. So I basically think of myself as a Chicagoan. Gotcha. Windy gotcha. City girl in the house. Yes, yes, yes. And you said you're not into sports, right? Not no. really, yeah. no. Okay. <laughs> it's, I, I like to do things but not watch them. Are you fanatic about anything that uh, in Chicago? Any Chicago blues. Blues? Okay, yes. gotcha. Oh, gotcha. the blues scene. I was thinking about the hockey team, but that's the St. Louis blues. Okay, the blues yeah. scene. Yeah. Any uh, particular club you go to in Chicago? Oh, there's a bunch of different ones. Um, 
I mean, the Green Mills is kind of a classic place to hang out, but... Green Mills, okay. How about, uh, you know, I was reading recently Deep Dish, Chicago Deep Dish. Oh. And, and But this guy was saying that he's from Chicago, and he said, you know, from his memory growing up, most Chicagoans didn't eat Deep Dish. It was another style, he said. I'm oh, not you sure. mean the pizza? Yeah, yeah, the deep dish style pizza is like famous for, you know. Well, what I would say is I remember like back like when I was like in my 20s. Yes. Everyone ate deep dish pizza all the time. Okay. But then it kind of went out of style and now it's mostly tourists who eat it. Oh. And maybe, maybe that's what he was Yeah, I think about. that's what it is. Because the thing is, this deep dish pizza, I mean, it's like a solid piece of cheese. And you eat it, and it's just like a rocket, <laughs> basically. So Con- I think once low-fat diets became more popular, it kind of went out of style. Constipation. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, when I was watching an episode of, uh, I think it was either the Bizarre Foods guy or the um, the Diners Drive-In and Dives guy. Yeah, they went to Chicago uh, Pizza joint and uh yeah they were showing that deep dish yeah. looks delicious though and they always compare it to new york style pizza you know i'm from new york uh, well, I, I went to college in new haven and actually new haven's the best pizza oh really wow yes. so you and you have new york pizza before i've had new york pizza but i'm sorry new, new, new haven is better it's very oh, close oh, but sure. it's really good new haven I'm, that's the right. first time i'm, I'm hearing oh this. and new yeah. haven pizza it's famous really yeah oh, peppies yeah. and sally's are the two famous places where have i been okay shout yeah. out to new haven and uh what you say poppies and uh, um peppies and sally's peppies and sally's yeah. all right yeah okay all right i was reading about you a lot about you and, and you are self-described uh word geek Really? Yes, that's true. Yes. Um, well, I think you have kind of have to be language a geek. geek? Yeah, you have to be a language geek if you're going to learn Japanese, right? Gotcha. And so that's kind of part of it. Um, and then also, you probably saw that because I recently did a book about Silicon Valley lingo. Okay. Which kind of actually started out of the Japanese stuff because I had done a while ago a book for Japanese about American business slang or lingo. And then um, someone I knew in the Japanese publish industry, I um, had given him a copy of it. And he said, oh, this is a really cute book. You know, you're in Silicon Valley now. You really ought to do a Silicon Valley version of this because all these Japanese are going to Silicon Valley and they, they're trying to do business and they don't understand what anyone's talking about. I yes. said, yes, that is a brilliant idea. And I talked to the publisher, and he's like, yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, How long did that take you to do? Oh, boy. You know, I want to say better part of a year. Okay. Yeah. But, but you, you, it's not new to you. You've written many books. Right, yes. And so I just, um, number 37 is the latest wow. one. Yeah, so I've been doing lots of books for a while. I mean, the first one is the hardest one. And once you've done one, they get a lot easier after that because you kind of know what you need to do. Yes. Yeah. How many in Japanese? Uh, let's see, almost all of them in Japanese, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, maybe, okay. yeah. Okay, so the, the, on, the only one would be the uh, Valley Speak, The right? Valley in Speaks English. in English. Um, I've got also... Um, my first one in English, The Rice Paper Ceiling, Breaking Through Japanese Corporate Culture, which I'm overdue to do an update on that. Yes, and yeah. we're going to talk a lot about that. That's really uh, the main topic here today. Yeah. Uh, but yes, go ahead. Yeah, and also I've got a, um, a well, it's, it's a mainly an audio book, but there's a Kindle for Japanese business etiquette called The Lowdown. Gotcha. Wow. All right. Author, consultant, uh, language geek. What else? What else? Everything what extraordinaire. What else should we know about you? Uh, what else? Let's see. I'm really into yoga, too. Oh, really? Oh, yes. really? Which style? Um, I, well, my favorite is the Yengar. Mm. Yes. yes. All I, about perfect form, right? Yes. But, yeah, we're just being careful. Yes. Mm. Yes. And not hurting yourself. That, yeah. That, that kind of fits Japanese society because they are so careful. You know, they're... 
Yeah, there's a yoga studio I really love in Kodama Cho, and I just went to the Iyengar class there yesterday. It was awesome. Okay. Oh, what's the name of the yoga studio? But, um, it's called Lotus. Lotus. Ah, Lotus. Yes. Yeah, have you heard Appropriate of it? Appropriate name. No, but I've heard of Lotus, so. Okay. Yeah. yeah but it, it, how, have you ever heard of Sun and Moon Yoga? Oh, yes, of course. Lisa, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Shout we, out to Lisa. Yeah, yeah, yeah we had yeah. her on the po- podcast. Oh, great, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had a ball with her. Yeah. Yeah, I've done a few classes there, and I haven't been there in a while, so if Lisa's listening... I'll be there. It's been about eight years, but I'm, I'm, don't give up on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So how did you get into Japanese? Okay. So yeah. th- this is the story. When I was in high school, my hobby was doing artwork. Okay. And I had a kind of a bunch of exposures to Japanese things. I, you know, I grew up in Chicago, and the Chicago Art Institute has one of the best collections of ukiyo-e in the world. And so you go there and see all these really cool things. And I took classes in an artist studio, and there was an artist from Japan who used the space. And her art was really great, and she was really cool and interesting. I had a couple of friends who were Japanese-American. You know, I'd go over to their houses. Their parents were from Japan, and they were really nice. And they had also lots of cool Japanese stuff. And so I kind of got all these different exposures to Japan. I'm kind of dating myself, but this is also <laughs> when um, Shogun came out, right? And so then the people were very interested in, you know, Karate Kid came out and, you know, yes. Star Wars, which has lots of Japan influences. And so there was a lot kind of around in the culture, and I got all these exposures. And when I went to college, I realized I wanted to do something with business. And I thought, well, if I learn Japanese, that would be a useful skill for business. But it would also be really cool from the cultural side. Like, wouldn't it be great to read the writing on those yukioe, right? Or be able to talk more to, to Japanese people. So I thought it kind of killed two birds with one stone. So that was the basic idea. And then I took Japanese in college, and I loved it. I thought it was just fascinating. And then I spent a summer in Japan during college doing an internship. And that was really, really interesting. So I kind of got hooked at that point. Were you in Tokyo? I was actually in Kyoto for my internship, which was really lucky. Okay. I was doing an internship at a Japanese savings and loan. And, you know, there's myself and a couple other interns, and they would take us around to visit their customers, which were, like, the kimono maker and the doll maker and Kiyomizudera Temple. So we went back in the back where no one else would go and met with people. All the traditional stuff. Yeah, because it was a small, you know, business, um, you know, type bank. So it was fascinating. Wow. And then, so you went back and then to the States and then regrouped and then or finished up your school? And well, then I finished up my school and then I worked in consulting in, in Chicago for a couple of years, which was really great. And I really loved consulting. But at this point, Japan was, was starting to really boom. And I thought, well, I really need to go back and I need to learn more. Okay. Um, and actually, maybe I'll tell you the story of, of why I really yes. thought I need to go back. So we love stories. Go okay, ahead. you're going to love this one. So I, I get this job at a consulting firm and you know, they knew that I had this interest in Japan. And when I'd interviewed, they had some Japanese clients. And then when I started, somehow those Japanese clients weren't there anymore. But um, my first week, they said, oh, Rochelle, we're having this meeting with a potential Japanese client. And we want you to come and observe. Or, well, we're not, we don't want you to, but we, we, we invite you to. You might be interested. Why don't you come watch? Okay? So I watched. And this meeting was like the textbook edition of what not to do with Japanese. So the first thing was the, the, the potential clients had a busy schedule, and the only time they could come was at lunchtime. So instead of making it a nice meal where you talk and get to know each other Japanese style, they made it a working lunch, which right away for Japanese, you know, I'm supposed to listen to something and eat at the same time. It's just not, <laughs> yeah. not what they do, right? And then they had gotten lunch, and they had gotten food from a deli. 
So there was a platter of like piled with sandwich meat and a, <laughs> some you know like rolls, and then there was a big vat of like really mayonnaise coleslaw, and like a big vat of like really mayonnaise potato salad. And I will just never forget the look of disgust on the faces <laughs> of these potential clients. I'm like, you want me to eat this? And it was just not not working and then what happened was is the firm that i worked for it was started by two professors from northwestern university's business school and the stuff they did was like really complicated and they um wanted to explain you know what they did to the clients and so they they realized it was complicated they wanted to have a translator so rather than spending money on a properly qualified interpreter they grabbed one of the japanese grad students in their program who they didn't sit down and give a chance to prepare. So then they're talking about, um, you know, this, that curve or whatever, and then graphs and whatever, and it's kind of complicated. And the interpreter is kind of stumbling. He doesn't know what to do. And they get impatient, which, of course, in Japanese culture looks really bad. So here I am watching this. It's really obvious we are never going to get these clients. But I'm sitting there in the back, and my problem was is I knew enough to, to really viscerally feel what a complete disaster this was, but I didn't know enough to do anything about it. I didn't know enough, or I wasn't enough of an expert that they thought to consult me beforehand on what to do. And I didn't speak well enough um, in Japanese that I could step in and fix it. So I was sitting there helpless. And I said, if I'm gonna do this Japan stuff, I better actually get better at it so I can actually be useful Otherwise, I'm going to be sitting here feeling like an idiot watching disasters happen that I can't fix all the time. So that was kind of, for me, a really big thing wow. that I thought, I really, I need to, I need to know more that just knowing a little, a little bit is just painful, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Wow. Yeah, definitely a, a good experience for you, I would say, you know, um, to get you yeah. on your way. Because it's, it's uh, you know, it's sort of like, I guess it's the American way to say, hey, let's do it the cheapest way possible. Let's grab this grad student and... And then, yeah, yeah, the part about the food was really interesting. All that heavy, greasy, mayonnaise stuff. And then we're supposed to have a business meeting and everybody's just, oh, okay. Yeah, I could, I, yeah, I could, especially me being over here for a while. Yeah. And, you know, and then also, too, just like with Japanese food, it's, it's so, uh, the presentation. Yes. Yeah. And this was the opposite of good presentation, exactly. right? It's like serve yourself with a big spoon and put a lump <laughs> up in the Right? Yes. Yeah, it probably reminded the poor Japanese guy the prison movie you watch where they just slap oh, it on the sure, platter. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was sort of along those lines. So yeah. I take it none of those clients ever returned. Nothing. No, yeah. no. It was pretty clear there was nothing that was going to ever happen. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was, as, as you were telling the story, I was just like, yeah, I already knew it. I was like, yeah, that food presentation, they failed on that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to do business and you're listening to this guy presenting something to you, but he's smacking food at the same time, you know, and oh yeah, yeah, that yeah. really went over well. <laughs> right. And you know, they don't, they don't eat on trains here, you know, um, they don't eat while they're commuting. So, you know, it's very, um. What's the word I'm not looking for? But they, but they, it's a time and a place for everything, right? Exactly. And yeah. All right. And then, so 
I believe you came back over here and worked for a bank, right? Yes, I came. I worked for a bank. And so at the time, they were kind of in the forefront of hiring non-Japanese employees. Mm-hmm. So we had 20, which is, you know, compared to what you see some of the firms now hiring, not big, big deal. But at the time, it was definitely unusual. And we had people from all over the world, Americans, Canadians, Koreans, Singaporean, French, UK, you know, it's people from all over. And... Um, I worked for a Japanese bank that had been very, very domestically focused, but then all of a sudden decided to go global. And they were opening offices all around the world, hiring people who were, you know, professional bankers in, you know, Luxembourg and Hong Kong and London and New York. And the bank really didn't have a lot of skills in managing non-Japanese. And people like me who joined the firm, you know, did not know very much about how to work in a Japanese organization. You know, I kind of had a head start that I had had some experience and I spoke some of the language, but still it's different to actually be in an organization. And then for the people who were, you know, had professional banking careers, they didn't know anything about Japan. So let's just say there were a lot of misunderstandings. Yes, yes. And I got really interested in just for me personally, well, how can I be effective in a Japanese organization? And how can a Japanese organization be effective being globally when they've really never done this before? And at the time, Japanese companies were starting to really expand, and they were building factories all over the place and buying companies, etc. And I thought, someone's going to have to figure out a lot of stuff. Otherwise, there's going to be a lot of people who are just going to be miserable, right? And so I thought, well, maybe this is something where I can make a contribution at some some point based on my experience. Yeah, you know, and speaking of being miserable, I guess. You know, I was I was reading an article that you wrote for the Japan Times about um, I think you did some type of uh, research survey on foreigners' experiences at Japanese companies. Um, can you talk about some of the positives and negatives that they that they gave? Sure, yeah. So you know, I, I did that article and it was really based on you know, my experience working with so many people. Okay. And, you know, there's a lot of things that people really enjoy working with Japanese. You know, Japanese are, are very polite and um, it makes the work atmosphere very pleasant, tends to be non-confrontational, um, tends to be a lot of teamwork and cooperation, which can be great. Also, uh, as you know, Japanese are, are very social and you can have a really nice team camaraderie and it's fun to kind of go out. Go nomikais. out after. Exactly, nomikais, hang out good food kind of it's in, you know, we kind of create really enjoyable working relationships and i think people really enjoy those aspects of working with japanese i also think you know that japanese have really great um, methodologies for business and problem solving and if you're in manufacturing it's quality and so um, a lot of people say that you know they really enjoy working with japanese because they learn you know some techniques for um, how to go about the work in, in a way that, that gets good results. And right. punctual. You know, punctual, like right. People are on time. Things work smoothly, right? Perfectionists. Right, they're perfectionists. People say, if they say they're going to do something, that they actually do it, right? And so that you can rely on people. So there's a lot of really nice things about working with Japanese. And then like. there's the challenges. Then there's the challenges, right? And, you know, a really big one, I think, is, you know, Japanese organizations tend to take a really long time to make decisions and a long time to make changes and that can be frustrating if you're from a culture where people get things done quickly it can also be frustrating if um, as is true in so many markets now things are just speeding up 
and Japanese firms are in danger of, of kind of being left behind. Yes. And so if you're there, you're like, come on, hurry up, let's not get left behind, yes, right? Yes, yes. So there's that, there's that kind of frustration. That's it's a big one. Yeah. There are some other. Are there some other challenges? Um, just like far as with the the work relationships. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think it's true. You know, it's kind of the language flip. barriers. Well, like I that. think the language barrier is definitely a big one. That um, if you don't speak Japanese, um, it it can be challenging because you're missing a lot. Even if you do speak Japanese, it's exhausting using it at a work level every day, yes. right? And he's got a trip uh, twisting your tongue around the kego all the time. It gets yes. a little tiring. Um, on the other hand, there's the language barrier on the Japanese side because they're going to feel just as tired and frustrated uh, working with um, people who aren't Japanese. And it was interesting. I was talking to um, a Japanese guy who came to my event last night who has been working with Japanese. I was working with Americans. He said, I just wish they wouldn't bury me in so many words like so much talk for me to go through right and so i think it's 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 tiring to to just keep up with 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 all the communication if it's not your native language no matter which side you're on right yeah i've i guess through social media i've i've seen people complain about this and that in regards to japanese word culture and you know some of it is you know it's, it's, it's a valid point that they're making i'm interested in knowing on the flip side, what are some of the things that Japanese companies, uh, what are some of their challenges with dealing with American people, communicating and, and work culture and stuff like that? Right. Oh, I definitely hear a lot of those. Well, one one complaint that I get a lot from Japanese is, well, Americans or people some, from some other cultures are, are kind of loose with deadlines, they'll say. You know, or don't, aren't so deadline oriented. And so I always explain that you know, first of all, if you're setting a deadline, you have to make it really clear why is this important deadline. It's not just some number out of the blue. And it's important to follow up with people. I think a lot of times in U.S. culture, we think a deadline is a, you know, it's, it's a goal that we want to aim for, but if there's extenuating circumstances that we might shift it. And Japanese don't tend to recognize extenuating circumstances, right? You know, my, my wife Japanese, and I, I've heard her talk to her American um, clients over the phone about certain things and yes you're right um, like she's like well this was supposed to be done by this date like what's what's going on you know and like you said they just kind of like oh yeah well, we tried but you know you know but and we have some flex for that in US culture right and yes. we kind of expected and and if it's something that you absolutely have to meet then we'll state that up front so people know Whereas for Japanese, they just assume that everyone's going to just kill themselves for a deadline. Exactly. And then that's not necessarily how Americans are going to handle it, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of kind of miscommunications to handle. I happen with that, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, one thing I notice about Japanese, even, you know, I've worked with some, you know, years back. Uh, they're very by the book. And even my wife, who's Japanese, uh says that common sense is not a great virtue. Would that extend to the work culture? And I'm not saying that they're dummies or they don't have common, or maybe maybe their definition of common sense is totally different from ours. You know, but they're, they were, ta- you know, like to me, sometimes when people are so by the book, to me, it becomes like, okay, you're rigid, you're boring, you're anal. How would that, you know, do you see that in the Japanese work culture a lot? And are there cons or 
pros or cons to it? Right. No, I, I definitely see that. I think buy the book is a really good way to describe it. And the thing is, I think you're right. There's definitely pros and cons because, because Japanese organizations are really good at setting standards for how to do things. If this is how this is done. And then they have everyone will fall into line with that. And okay, this is what we're supposed to do. This is how you do it. And it's definitely by the book. And, and the word for that in Japanese is hyojunka, you know, that we're creating a standard. And so that's one of the reasons why things work nicely in Japan and things are high quality and things are kind of predictable and nice in a lot of ways here. But on the other hand, it means that people can be really rigid about those things. And they feel like, okay, it's set. I can't veer from that. And you, you write that it, it, it based it on their common sense to do something different is not something that they feel they're allowed to do. So that's why you get into some of these situations where, you know, someone wants something different at a restaurant from what the set is. And, you know, and I think foreigners tend to drive Japanese crazy with these kind of things. <laughs> I'm one of them. Right, right. And it's because there's a rule and people don't feel confident breaking the rule on their own. Right. And there's actually I found out recently there's a word in Japanese for that. It's shikoteshi which means your brain has stopped moving. Okay. And so some Japanese are using that word now to criticize when people kind of blindly follow the, the way things are set to be and aren't thinking for themselves. So there are some Japanese who are starting to say, hey, hey maybe this isn't always good. Uh, maybe we should think for ourselves some more. Yes. Yeah. yes. Right, because that reminds me uh, of uh, a time, uh, this was back in the 80s when I was in the Navy over here, and we went to KFC. Now, you know, we Southern, we Southern black dudes, right? We brothers kind of like our, uh, we like a bunch of ketchup with our, our, our fries, right? And so they would just give us one pack. And also, <laughs> I like some ketchup with my chicken. So the guy at the counter at KFC, he said, well, ketchup is only for French fries. It's not for chicken. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm the customer. I want some, I want some more ketchup and I want to enjoy it with my chicken. I'm paying this money. Hey, give her brother some love. And so me and my friend said, you know what? And, and one of the things I find that it works sometimes if you embarrass them into giving in. Right. And so we went to the uh, on base. You know, we have what we call a commissary, which is our food shopping. You know, so we went to the commissary and my friend bought a big 64 ounce, um, 64 ounce bottle of ketchup. So we were at KFC, we went to the counter, and my friend said, yeah, uh, it's okay. You don't have to give us extra ketchup. We brought our own ketchup because you guys are too stingy to give us. And he was saying it loud. <laughs> and after that, every time we went there, if we say, hey, give me 10 packs of ketchup, they gave us 10. <laughs> and ever since then, we never had trouble getting, you know, so I know it's kind of cruel to do that but it kind of works kind of fun too <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. boy well I, I guess it's definitely an effective strategy in the short term yeah <laughs> i mean has it has it ever been like uh, in the business world has uh, americans who are doing business with japanese and found them too rigid or found them too by the book would kind of like put them in a put them on the spot to where all right, maybe we should give in a little bit. Maybe we should have a little fun. Maybe we should make an adjustment. Maybe uh, an accident may, you know, something that didn't go perfectly may end up being the best thing in the world to follow in the future. So like the guy, uh, the peanut butter 
uh, the guy had peanut butter and another guy had a chocolate bar and they bumped into each other and they ended up with the Reese's peanut butter cup. What do you, what do you think about, I mean, have you ever seen that? Oh boy. You know, I, I'm having trouble thinking of an exact example. You know, I think it's possible and I think it's, it's possible to kind of have that kind of cross-cultural collaboration if, if you do it in a way that doesn't cause the other side too much pain, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. One thing I've realized from, like, once again, listening to my wife uh, talk over the phone in Japanese sometimes, it's like, she'll, you know, she'll be upset, but she'll still use keigo. She'll still use the polite Japanese. So it's not like they're cursing you out, but you can tell by the tone that she's not happy, but still polite. Right, right. Yeah, I, you can't. I, I, you can't drop the politeness. You can't part, drop yeah. the politeness. But it's right. but it's said through a sort of sort of sound, right? Yeah, yeah. right. right. Yeah. So I, I guess maybe in in American culture, uh, I mean, I, I guess we would be like maybe sarcastic in a way to kind of like get your point across. And right. Yeah. And Japanese don't do sarcasm. So. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, another thing, or you know, like. A lot of Americans, you know, heard over the news um, and I would read American, you know, like uh, Newsweek, Time magazine. I used to read back in the day about working people to death over here. The stress of work, people dying from. Is that is that does that still happen today? It's still a problem. And in it's fact, still, it, according to some figures, it's an increasing problem. All right. Wow. I, I, even as even in this day and age, 21st century. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it, it, it's a big issue because I think what, what happens is that some firms are what are called um, black companies. Yes. And so those are firms that just completely abuse their employees and they make them work really, really long hours. And it, 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 um, it becomes normal in those companies, but it becomes exhausting for people. And then they, they you know, get a heart attack or some, some other terrible thing happens, right? Or there was a, a couple years ago a really horrible incident where a young woman who worked for the advertising agency Dentsu was working outrageous amounts of overtime and, and got depressed and then threw herself off a roof um, you know, you know, and killed herself. But it was ruled to have been a result of the overwork, yes. right? And so even like a big, you know, well-known company like that, you know, can have these outrageous hours. And I think what happens is, is that I think a lot of Japanese get stuck because they don't have a, la- a fluid labor market to the extent that we would have in the U.S., that people don't realize that they can make a choice and leave. And so they're in these terrible situations, and they feel like they have to put up with the boss who's making them do crazy things, right? And they don't feel like, okay, I'm just going to get out of here and get another job because they don't feel confident that they can get another job, and it's not something that they see people around them doing, so they don't like consider it as an option. So I think the, 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 the death from overwork is because people can't get out. Yeah. Or they feel they can't get they out. They feel they can't get out. Yeah. And in fact, actually, if they really tried, they probably could, but there's like sort of this self-imposed barrier. Yeah, yeah, it's a mindset. You know, for foreigners, we can just say, hey, F it. I'm out of here. You right, know? exactly. Yeah. Take this job and shove it. Exactly. I'll, I'll, I'll look for another job or I'll just go back home to the, you know, wherever. Right, exactly. And I think what happens too is, you know, what we get in the U.S. where we have a fluid labor market is, is you know, people vote with their feet. And, you know, if you've got some really awful boss that's, like, treating people terribly, all the people who work for him quit. And so then it's going to be hard to have people working there. And also the company realizes, hey, there's a problem with this guy. All his employees are quitting. And so you get sort of alarm bell that goes off. Whereas in Japan, because then people don't quit, 
then it doesn't really get to anyone's attention. And so then you can have bosses just be horrible bosses, and there's no kind of check on that. Could be wrong, but I think, Amer- well, specifically Americans, uh, I don't want to speak for any other country, uh, but we tend to be more vocal about things that's that we think is, is wrong, and we might file complaints and stuff like that. So we just, uh, yeah, we're just not going to put up with a lot of stuff, you know. We're going to mm-hmm. just look for look somewhere else to go. No, that's true. And you and I think it's a lot easier in the U.S. to use the legal system for that purpose as okay. well, right? The Japanese legal system is more difficult. Well, to- it's harder to file a lawsuit. It's more expensive. Okay. And it's just more onerous on the person who, who is doing it. And it's considered a fairly extreme thing to do that, that regular people wouldn't consider as, as a first option. Okay. Now, how, how was it for you as you know, about the, the gender inequality and sexism. And mm-hmm. How was that for you coming here, um, working in like, working at a Japanese company as a well, you know, I, woman? I really felt when I was working in a Japanese organization that I didn't feel that I had a lot of issues from being a female. Okay. I felt like being a foreigner was a much bigger factor from that. And I also felt that in some ways I had an advantage as a woman because I felt that people were curious about me um, I feel that you know because Japanese women who get ahead in their career are usually people who are extremely talented and and driven and so when Japanese see a successful career person no matter where they're from they tend to have a halo effect from that because they think oh women are really making it they must be something good here right mm. I also felt that there were some people who maybe felt more comfortable with me or were less intimidated by me than they would be by one of my foreign male colleagues. That somehow people were a little bit more open to me because I was female. So in a lot of ways, I actually felt a lot of advantages. Okay. So, and I guess that's a different experience for a Japanese woman. Completely different. Right. Completely different. And I think the Japanese women, um, they have a couple of different issues. Um, A big one, it's... it's, um, it's called the um, scholars call it the double bind, and so if and what that is is and we have it to some extent in the U.S. but it's much much stronger in Japan, is the difference between how a woman is expected to behave, and how a successful business person or leader is expected to behave. You know, leaders are expected to be tough, and decisive, and. If you're a female and you act that way, then people call you a bitch, exactly, right? Exactly. And, and, but if you don't act that way, then you seem like you're not a leader, right? And so that's something, we have that as a problem in the U.S., Definitely. right? You know, look at Hillary Clinton, you know, yep. what happened with her. You know, that, that would be a good example, right? Um, on the other hand, in Japan, they have that big, big example that women are, um, you are expected to behave in a certain way. And that's not always consistent with, you know, being a tough business person, right? Exactly. Right. And so I think a lot of people, a lot of women say, you know, I don't want to behave in that way and be viewed badly or be viewed as not feminine. Okay. Yes, definitely, definitely. So, you know, thanks for shedding some light on, on, on all of these different things uh, that people should consider when working for a Japanese company. Um, so what what is it that you... Um, do as a consultant to try to help Japanese companies with these issues? Um, I do a whole bunch of different things. So I do a lot of training seminars. And actually, it's not just me. I have a team of people also. But um, we do a lot of training seminars for non-Japanese who are working with Japanese. 
We do a lot of seminars for Japanese who are working with people from other countries, and that may be general cultural understanding. We also do a lot of work with um, management and leadership skills because we find, um, and I think it's something in general that's needed in Japan, um, but especially in situations where Japanese are, are managing people from other cultures, um, people from other cultures tend to have certain expectations of their managers in terms of getting feedback or getting direction in a way that um, Japanese managers aren't always prepared to do. So giving them some more skills in that area we find is really helpful. Um, we do a lot of team building sessions where we have Japanese and, and their colleagues from other countries together and we do um, bilingually facilitated team buildings. Um, we do a lot of those when there's a merger or acquisition, for example, um, or just for a team that wants to you know, be more effective together. All right. Uh, I believe you're out in, uh, you said you're somewhere else uh, outside Japan, I forgot. Yeah, I've been spending some time, time down in Kyushu because yeah. I've been doing some teaching at Kita Kyushu University. Okay. They just started a global business program and they asked for my help with it. And so that's been kind of fun. I'd, I had taught at another university in Kyushu previously, Ritsumeikan APU. Um, and I really like outdoor things. And so Kyushu is really ideal because you get kind of the urban areas, but also nearby there's mountains. And I also kayak, you know, I can like get to the beach quickly with my kayak. So kind of hanging out in Kyushu a little bit too. Cool, cool, cool. So do you ever, you know, is there a culture in Japan, uh, in their work culture, where people do go out and do outdoor things to, uh, let's say, build, you know, for team building purposes, like let's say hike or climb a mountain or go do some, you know, because that's pretty big in America. Right, right. You know. I have, I have heard of some companies do that, and I've also heard of companies that have outdoor experiences as part of their new employee orientation. Mm. They kind of, uh, again, team building, co uh, coalescing. Sometimes they have really difficult hikes, and it started to toughen people up. So they sometimes do it at that time, too. Um, still more what I see is I see more golf happening <laughs> <laughs> in terms of the outdoor activity. But, again, it depends on the company. Gotcha. What are some, like... I guess, forward-thinking um, Japanese companies out there, like a company that's kind, that's trying to catch up with the times, that's trying to become more flexible, use more business, uh, use more English in, in, in the business setting. Do you know mm -hmm. any companies? Yeah, that, you know, are, there's lots of good examples. I mean, uh, I'll give you one newer company, one more traditional company. Um, for a newer company, Rakuten, it was, you probably hear about a lot. I've heard you about took it. took your words right out of yeah. my mouth. Yes. Right. And they have lots and lots of non-Japanese there. But the thing is, is that the non-Japanese employees are in core positions and including key management positions. So they're not kind of sidelined or tokened or anything like that. And so, okay. so they, have, um, they have people literally from all over the world working there. And they, um, you know, and their Japanese staff have had to learn English. So they've, they've really, um, they have a very global environment. So it, it is completely English or they're kind of like a mix? They mix well, I, th I, think they, I think it's a, a little bit of a mix, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 the thing is, there's still a Japanese organization that they have to deal with their customers in Japanese. Exactly. So you, you can't do everything in English because you've got to deal with your customer, right? Um, but on the other hand, uh, a more traditional company that I think is very, very interesting right now is Hitachi. Okay. That Hitachi, um, they put a guy who's originally from Turkey in charge of all their HR. He's, he's their chief human resource or, um, officer in Japan. 
He had previously been running HR for one of their U.S. subsidiaries and did a major reorganization. And they were so impressed with what they did, they said, will you come here and do that for the entire company? And so he, he's been working with his team, and they've put in a modern performance evaluation and HR um, information system, and they've been you know, trying to modernize how they manage people, which is fairly revolutionary in such a really, really traditional company as they've had. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. And if you Google, you can find maybe just a couple articles about it in English, but there's been a lot in Japanese about what they've been doing. And you know, they're, they're really trying to do something different. Great, great. Yeah, I mean... And you work with companies, Japanese companies in the U.S. and in Japan, right? Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, and then my colleagues work with them in Europe and Latin America. So we kind of see Japanese companies, what they're doing globally, and then we work with foreign firms in Japan, too. Okay. So are there more American uh, people? Uh, Because, you know, it seemed like, you know, when the guys travel to Japan, uh, most of the time they have Japanese translating to English to Americans. And I think America at one time was behind the times, especially during the Japanese bubble. And I used to hear some Japanese businessmen laugh about the fact that they don't have anybody that speaks Japanese. So, you know, so because I noticed in schools, they're starting to teach kindergartners and first graders Chinese now because Chinese, you know, the the economy in China has, has been booming. So has there been an improvement in Americans? Uh let's say, America preparing more Americans to deal with Japanese in their own language? Yeah, you know, I think there, there is, there's more Japanese language education in the U.S., you know, because I think people are interested in it. You know, I know for me, I would have loved if I could have taken um, Japanese in high school instead of the French I was terrible at, <laughs> right? It would have been more useful, and it would have been a good time to learn kanji, right? You know, yes. high school would be right. fun, right? So I, I kind of wish I'd had that. But now I think there's much more of that now. I think also you see there's just more Americans who have lived in Japan. You know, people who have come over here on the JET program, um, you know, people who have worked here and have gone back. You know, there's a lot of Americans here who have stayed here for a long time. So there's just more people who speak Japanese in general, right? I think another big thing in the U.S. is a lot of people study Japanese because they love manga and anime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is always always something that uh, introduces them to the culture and then they want to pursue... Right. Um, it you know further and, and and move here and learn the language. Like speaking of language, what I mean, you you're fluent in Japanese. What what are your, some tips for uh, people? Oh boy. Well, you know, I'm still working on it. Okay. And what's interesting for me is is that I feel like my vocabulary is a little bit uneven because it's really highly skewed to talking about business things. Gotcha. But I don't always know some more everyday words. So I have, I have a couple things that I've been doing. You know, I work with an, an app called I Know, and it's a vocabulary learning, learning app, and it um, has spaced repetition, which is um, scientifically proven to be the best way to learn vocabulary, that it, it, it's, it, it, put, it, show, it exposes you to the word, and then a little while later exposes you again at just the right time for your memory to grasp it. And that's kind of like playing a video game. It's kind of fun. Um, and I recently started using Kanshudo, which is a... a kanji study program and it assesses your ability and I'm linking that with another one I'm using it's called Satori Reader and so the Satori Reader is really fun it has these little stories and it has the vocabulary and you click on it and it pronounces it for you or if you, if you need the, the um, you know, you're reading in Japanese you click on it you can get the um, definition they have some very nicely written grammar explanations um, but then you can also have it read it aloud to you 
And so you can kind of get it reinforced and it's in the context of a story, so it makes it easier to remember. So I, I try and spend like 20 minutes a day on one of those apps. Yeah. So you say the app is named I Know? I Know. Hmm. So it's, 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 it's just a, a letter I and then K-N-O-W. And they have um, a version for Japanese who are studying English also. So have you taken like the uh, JLPT and, and... Yeah, yeah, like a really long time ago. A long yeah. time ago. Yeah, I did level one like like in 1992. All right. So yeah, yeah, you got that on... <laughs> yeah, so I've done that. But you know, like, even if you have that, it doesn't mean that the, you have nothing left to learn you know, at all, yes. right? And that's you know? a great point. Because yeah. Because I think some foreigners coming here, um, uh, they, they think that, oh, okay, if, if I just get this level two or this level one, I'll be, you know, I'll be good. But I mean, there's always more to learn. Yeah. And, you know, then, and, you know, you, you, you always want to like, if like anything else that you do, like with, with, with yoga or running or yes. whatever other, other thing you're doing, you know, you, there's always more you can do. Right. Yes. And so I'm trying now to be increasing my non-business vocabulary. Gotcha. Which then helps me in business. You know, I learned the other day the word kusari, which means chains. And I had a reason to use it in a business context the other day. So you never know, right? Yes. Yeah. If you're working here in Japan, knowing business Japanese is, is definitely important. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. On a funny note, though, my friend was speaking Japanese to this one girl in the nightclub. And she said, yeah, you have a girlfriend. He's like, no, I don't have a girlfriend. Yes, you have a girlfriend. Uh, it's because Japanese. you're <laughs> Japanese, it's feminine. Right, so. right, right. Exactly. And, That's and a so, dead giveaway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, Norm, I, so I guess his girlfriend was saying, hey, I'm going to teach him this. So when he goes out to chase another girl, she'll know that he's taken. <laughs> she might not have done it on purpose, but it definitely worked that way. <laughs> okay, guys. Remember, learn the man st- stuff. Oh, that's so true. You know, my, my cousin also speaks Japanese, and so for a while he had a retired Japanese businessman was his tutor. Because my, my cousin's a lawyer, and he's like, well, who do I want to sound like? Exactly. I want to sound like an executive. I'm going to have someone who that's how they talk be my teacher. Because he wanted to really avoid that. So if you want to sound like a Yakuza dude, then... <laughs> there you go. Because I had a friend of mine, he worked construction, and uh, he was working for Yakuza guy, you know, mafia guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he would, when he gets like angry or something like that, he'll come out like that. And and my Japanese friend would say, he's been around mafia dudes too much. So yeah. it's easy to pick stuff up, right? Yeah. You got to yeah, be yeah, careful. Yeah, yeah. And you got a lot of, funny. of a lot of foreigners speak that anime Japanese. <laughs> Japanese uh, that they learn from anime. And right, right. And, and then that, that, that stands out too, right? Yeah, that, that, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of anime, manga. Um, oh, yeah. You have a book that you came out with. Yes, exactly. That's that. my latest book. Yes, it's Manga de Wakaru, Gaikokujin to no Hatraki Kata. How to work with foreigners you learn through manga. So this is a genre of books that has become really popular in Japan in recent years where you learn about a subject that might seem complicated or intimidating through manga. And so the way that it, the, the book is structured is it's a story about um, an intrepid young Japanese businesswoman named Aoi who all of a sudden gets transferred to the department that deals with international stuff and has an American boss and colleagues from all over the world. And whereas she had learned English in school, she really didn't know a lot about working with non-Japanese. And so in each episode of the story, she has some mistake or has some problem that she encounters. And so that's a a couple pages of the the story in manga and then a couple pages of interpretation of 
okay, what's going on here? You know, why, why is this sort of thing an issue? Here's a technique you can use to be more effective. What can we learn about this from working with foreigners? So it has kind of the fun story part, but then, you know, the meaty explanation part. But the explanation, because it's tied to the story, you know, is, it's not like reading a textbook. It's kind of more fun. Right. And this is for Japanese. And it's for Japanese, gotcha. yeah. And so, um, you know, I had had a publisher had with that said this would be a really good idea. Good idea. Could you do this? And what happened was it was a few years ago, and I tried. You know, the thing I should say first is that you know if you're doing this, you have to like write the fiction story like a manga, and. I tried doing it and it was terrible, and <laughs> and I turned it in and they didn't really like it. And then I kept putting it off and putting it off because I just like I'm not really a fiction writer. And so then what happened is the editor was quitting and he was moving to another company. He's like, okay, you haven't finished this book. Do you want to keep this project alive or do you want me to bury it? And I said, no, 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 give it to your successor. And since then I'd met at one of my clients is this Japanese gal. Who um, she's a programmer. She works at Microsoft, but she um, has her hobby. She does manga, and she was very similar to the title character. She's like 26. She had studied English in school, but she had recently started working at Microsoft with all these Americans. And I said, "Wait, you know, they always talk about write about what you know." I'm like, "She's like the main character, yes. and she does manga for a hobby, and you know, she's too busy to actually do the actual illustrations. I'm like, she knows how to storyboard a story." Okay, so I said, you know, her name's Madoka, and I'm like, Madoka, okay, this is a crazy idea, but you want to work on this book with me? And she said, sure. So, you know, we would hang out on Saturday afternoons at cafes and brainstorm these stories. And then when you're doing it with someone else, it's much easier. And, you know, put in a lot of things that I experienced or my clients had experienced, and she had a lot of things she'd experienced. And it's, it's, it's a really fun story. Um, and it's kind of, it's, it's, it's cute and it's funny and makes people laugh, but also it, it gets a lot of those, those messages. So, you know, one, we talked before about the deadline issue. We, yes. have, a, we have that happen, okay. you know, where she has this deadline and she's like, where is it? And like the people working on it are like, we need another week, you know, <laughs> you know, so stuff like that, you know, yes. stuff that realistic stuff that happens. So Good. it's a totally fun project. Great, great, great. And the name, it's a title again? It is a manga de wakaru, gaikoku jinto no hatrakikata. Gotcha. All right. We'll, we'll post a link for that uh, oh, yeah. in the, in the yeah, description, yeah. the show notes. Yeah. yeah. That, that would be great. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. So we're, 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 I'm talking to a U.S. publisher, but might be doing an English version of it. Okay. So, cool. yeah. Cool. Just bouncing back and forth. English, Japanese. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, we want to thank you for coming out and uh, joining us today. Um, really appreciate it. Your social media. You want to throw out your social oh, media Oh, sure. Handles? Yes. Yeah. So I'm um, Japan Intercult on Twitter in English and in Twitter in Japanese is JIC Rochelle. Okay. And I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. All Those right. are the ones I do. Cool. Great. You got any parting words, no. Buddha? Right. It's just, uh, it was very interesting, even though it was about business, but, you know, it was fun. I about mean, people. You, you, yeah. It's about people. It's about life. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And even, even though I've, I worked in a company for a short time, right? I, I spent most of my time working for the U.S. government. But the time I did spend with the Japanese company, yeah, you, you, you brought back a lot of memories of, of them dealing with me and me dealing with them. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. And, and you, so, yeah, yeah, that was, that was you, very enlightening And today. you scaring the shit out of them and putting pressure on them and making them feel <laughs> <Yeah>. comfortable. <laughs> what you say, fool? <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, thank you, Rochelle. Okay. Thank, thank you. you this Rochelle. is lots of fun. Thanks yeah. so much. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, it's nice having you in the mobile man cave. And 
what do you think of the mobile man? I thing? think it's great. Cool. All right. Reminds you of high school riding around in old old beat up vans. Yep. With your buddies and stuff, you know. Yep, yep. You got all the stickers and the posters and everything. Yeah. You know, a little Grateful Dead over here and stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> all right. You know. So uh, that's it from Tokyo. You know where to listen to us. You know where to find us. Do your Googles. We are weekly podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday. Subscribe. Give us some reviews, damn it. Y'all been lagging, but we love you anyway. All right, that's it. Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. For more episodes, please visit rump.podbean.com. Or you can head straight to Google and type in Raw Urban Mobile Podcast. You can also listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can stream or download podcasts.